0: Amen. Thank you, guys. I love these two. They make me so happy. Mike's here this morning. I just have to tell you a fun story about him. Mike came to our church recently for the first time. We connected and said, hey, let's grab some coffee. And that happened this week. And then we're like, hey, what are you you doing after this meeting? Both of us were like, I don't know. And I said, well, I'm going to head out to the Wakeboard Park. So on a whim... He comes wakeboarding with me in the cold fall weather and has to get a wetsuit and the whole deal. Uh, but that's my new favorite strategy for first-time visitors. So if you're new here, um, you want to connect, grab some coffee and go wakeboarding, I'm your guy. Um, do me a favor, grab a Bible and get with me to Mark chapter 1. We're starting a new series and we're looking at some different episodes out of the book of Mark. And so we'll be on page 812 in the Bibles that we have in baskets under the, uh, under the chairs there. So 812. Um, so this new series, we'll go through these different sections out of the book of Mark, and we're looking at this incredible life that God calls us into. And uh, this morning, that's what we're going to do. So I'm going to pray, and we will, we'll get right after it. All right, Lord, we ask for your help right now. We pray that your voice would come through loud and clear. We ask, God, that you would speak to each one of us, and that you would help us to know who you are and what you're all about. And Lord, would you uh, help us as your people to walk faithfully into this high calling that you give to your people, the church. Lord, we want to do a great job of living by faith in the Son of God and telling other people the news of your salvation. We pray in His name. Amen. So, the book of Mark, we're, we're given, uh, we're going to jump into this story, but we're kind of given this indication of what Christ is all about in verses 14 and 15. It's almost like an introduction, but it's telling us kind of here's what He's going to do. Uh, he had just been baptized, He had spent a season in the desert wilderness praying and fasting, and then he's launching into his public ministry, and we're given this kind of comprehensive picture of this is what he's all about. So we're told in verse 14, it says, after John was put in prison, that that gives us a point of reference. It says, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent, and believe the good news. So that's the ministry of Christ. He's coming to publish this incredible good news of God. It is a message that calls for our repentance and our faith in the promises and uh, that we would experience something of the kingdom of God. So let me, let me point out then three big things that we see through this narrative, three, three things that we see in this text. The first is, it's a call to follow. When Jesus communicates to people, a part of his message, a part of the good news of the gospel is he's inviting people to walk with him. He's inviting people into this discipleship relationship where he's saying, I want you to do life together with me. I want you to be my pupil, my student, my learner, my apprentice. I want you to do life together with me. And that's what we see here as he's launching his public ministry. Look at verses 16 and following. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon, that's another name for Peter, and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. So there's a few features here, but a part of what we're talking about, this life that we're, we're hoping that you will embrace, is this call to follow Christ. And the call to follow Christ involves being with him. Uh, that's, that's the essence of what it means to be a Christian, it's, a, it's to be with Christ, is to have a relationship with the living Son of God. Um, And so anything short of that is really, in a sense, defective. So we could talk about Christ and we can talk about the church and we can talk about what God might want for us, but but at the very essence of what it means to be a Christ follower is this living and vibrant relationship with him. He's inviting us to be with him, to walk with him, to learn from him, to do life together with him by his spirit. And so that's what we're after. I remember talking to my alpha group uh, when we were doing Alpha recently and, and, um, and I, I was expressing to them that sometimes I, when I think about Christ, sometimes he's kind of an abstract concept for me. And this is a temptation that I fall into as a pastor, that I have to, that I talk about him all the time and I, and I want to make sure that I'm talking with him. And so that's the, that, that was the disconnect for me that I don't just want to say, yeah, he's like this and he's kind of, I can explain him. I want to be able to communicate about him because I have been communicating with him, that I have been with Christ. And, and that's really what it means to be, to be a follower of Christ anyways. It's this invitation that he's issuing to these fishermen, come and be with me, come and follow me, come and live your life together with me. So that's one of the features of this call to follow. It's a call to be together with Christ himself. Here's another feature of the call. And it's, it's the reality that the call is a life-altering surrender. That, that when somebody is being invited by Christ into a discipleship relationship, it changes things. That they, they're invited to follow him and for these fishermen, what do they do? They drop their nets, they leave their father, they leave what's familiar and comfortable, they leave their, 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 the way that they you know, provide for themselves and they begin this new life walking with him into the unknown. And so following Christ is often a life altering surrender. And that's a part of the message that he has. Repent and believe. Repent and trust in what he's calling us to do. And he's inviting us into that experience that we should surrender entirely to him. Now, as a church, we want to be a place where people can explore this. I understand that people will come to our church and they're not ready to fully embrace that sort of surrender and commitment. And this has to be a safe place for them to kind of wrestle through that. That they can come in and go, yeah, I have some doubts. I have some concerns. I have reservations for why I wouldn't entirely surrender my life. And that has to be okay. And we have to love people through that. But I make no apology for trying to push people in the direction of radical surrender to Christ. That when you commit your life to him, it changes things. That you're saying, my life now is no longer primarily about what I want. It's no longer primarily about my desires It's mainly about what he wants for me. And what he wants for me might be crazy. It might be uh, unthinkable, but because it's him, I trust him and I'm going his way. And so that's what we want. And we want to encourage people in that direction to surrender their lives to Christ and for them to experience that sort of radical commitment to him. And my question for you then is, have you experienced that sort of surrender? because Jesus is inviting us, he's calling us, he's issuing that invitation to come and be with me, and and sometimes people don't make that commitment. You'll see it a little bit further on in in the narrative. Not everyone is willing to give their life to him, but we as a church, we unashamedly say that's what we're after, helping people to see him for who he is and then orient their entire existence around him. So now Jesus becomes the the main talking point. He becomes kind of the plumb line for, what am I going to do with my life? What am I going to do as a vocation? How am I going to provide for myself? How are my relationships going to look? And for these guys, Simon, Peter, James, John, the disciples, they, all of that stuff shifted when they met Christ and they agreed to follow him. All of that shifted. They left their dad in the boat. Sometimes the the relationship that we have with Christ um, it causes you know, us to say, I'm with him, even if that affects the relationships that I have right now. I'm gonna go with him and trust that this is the right way because he's worthy of it. He's a treasure. I, I, I don't hesitate to push people in that direction because I really do believe that making that commitment is the best choice you'll ever make in your life. I really do believe that surrendering to Christ and following him, come what may, is not a raw deal. It's the very best deal. It's like a treasure, Matthew 13, puts it like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure in a field. And then he buries it again. And in his joy, he goes and sells all of his possessions so that he can purchase that field and have that treasure. That's what it looks like to follow Christ, to experience his kingdom, to come in contact with the king. We should look at that and go, everything that I presently know is on the table. I want to follow him. If this all has to change, I'm okay with that so long as I have him. I will surrender my life to his desire for me and I count that to be an upgrade. I count that to be a blessing because he's a treasure and and I'm gonna go after him. So part of the call to follow him is that call to being with him, but it's also a call to surrender. And in many cases, it's a life-altering surrender. But here's a third feature I want you to see here. The call to following Christ is also a simultaneous call to mission. That when he enlists people into his team, he at the same time tells them, you're gonna follow me and I'm also going to use you. You're gonna follow me, but you have a a part to play in the mission that he is accomplishing in the world. So look how he puts it when he calls these individuals. He says, I will send you out to fish for people. So he hijacks their vocation and he uses it as a metaphor. And he goes, look, you guys have spent your lives figuring out how to gather fish and get them in your boat. You've spent your lives trying to cast nets and get fish and then be able to sell those fish. And he says, look, there's a new agenda. It's not the fish that that's the most important thing in your life. I'm going to use you to reach human beings, to reach people. I'm going to send you out so that you could fish for people, that you could gather people in so that they might know something of the saving work of God. The same thing is true of all of us in here. If you're a believer You do not get to sit on the sidelines and just spectate and watch other things happen. When Jesus invites you to follow him, he's also co-opting you into his mission. And he's saying, I am going to bring you on my team in order to deploy you to be about the work that I'm doing. And we know what that is. He has come to seek and save that which is lost. So he's on a mission. He invites followers into a relationship with him. And at the same time, he pushes us out and says, I'm going to use you. Now, here's what's crazy. You don't have to be trained well to do this, right? You don't have to go through this rigorous process in order to be effective for the kingdom. That's not what he does with the disciples. He doesn't say, hey guys, follow me. By the way, I'm gonna run you through this program and I'm gonna help you to learn all these different things. And when you can check all the right boxes, then I'm gonna send you out and you will be able to do some of the stuff that I do. Once we vet you and train you in all these different things. No, it's the simultaneous, come and follow me and I will send you out. And a part of the learning process is while you're being sent out, you're going to learn what it means to know and trust in God himself. Um, So that's good news for many of us, that we don't need to be formally trained. In fact, uh, I I can't remember exactly, but there was a study done that showed a correspondence between formal training and activity in evangelism. And there was this, you know, negative correspondence between the two. The more that people knew according to theological training, the less likely they are to actually do evangelism. And that's the that's unsettling, right? Those of us that are in here, you don't need a Bible degree. You don't have to go to seminary. God can use you in his mission if you're willing. That's exactly what happened with these individuals. In fact, in, in the book of Acts, people took notes that Simon and Andrew and these guys, they were proclaiming the message of God's grace And here's what they saw, Acts 4.13. They said, these are are unschooled, ordinary men. These are unschooled, ordinary men. They don't have the formal training, but they're bold in their proclamation of the gospel, even in the face of of hardship and difficulty and, and threat of persecution. And this is what they took note of, verse 13. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's it. That's the requirement. That's the prerequisite for your effectiveness on mission. Are you willing to be with him and then to begin to embody some of that reality that he's come to do, that he's on a mission to seek and save that which is lost? So, when you're called into this discipleship relationship with him, you should know that you're also being deployed at the same time. That he's saying, Come and follow me, and we're going to go to your workplace. And we're going to begin those discussions with those coworkers and we're going to go to your family members and I'm going to use you to to help usher other people into the kingdom of God. That's a beautiful reality. And I hope that as you come to this campus, you feel that, that you feel that you are being um, encouraged because Christ himself is sending you out to be about his mission. Okay. So one of the main features here then that we see is this is a call to following Christ here's the the next thing I want you to see. It's also a call to experience something of the kingdom of God. That when Jesus is inviting people into this relationship, they get to experience the power of the kingdom. Again, verse 15, he puts it like this. The time has come, Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come near. He's saying, by his very presence, the kingdom of God is being ushered in. And so when he calls us, a part of the experience is we get to now witness something of what the kingdom is like. And his ministry is a preview of the things to come when the kingdom arrives in its fullness. So it's a call to the kingdom. Look at verses 21 and tw- through 28. He's talking about how the king has power over demons. So he's not just talking. He's not just saying, look, I'm a powerful dude. You follow me. You're going to see some of this power. He's saying, Watch as this thing unfolds. Here is the reality of what the kingdom is like. Verse 21, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Here's what we're seeing. The kingdom of God has power over the demonic. The kingdom of God. The King Himself has authority and power, even over demonic forces. Now, when I say that, I'm well aware that we are very uncomfortable talking about these things. Even in churches, we don't talk about demonic stuff. But the Bible consistently presents this reality: that there are fallen angels, that there are demons, and there are demonic forces at play in the world. Um, C.S. Lewis he he wrote pretty significantly about this, and he talked about the dangers. One danger would. Demons is to just give them way too much credit and to always be thinking about them and talking about them. But the other danger is to pretend that they don't exist. In fact, in, in a movie, The Usual Suspects, a character puts it this way, the greatest trick the devil has ever played is convincing the world he doesn't exist. And most of us, even Christians who read our Bibles, we go through the world pretending as if there aren't any demons, if there aren't any demonic forces at play. Now, the truth is there are. But the other truth is, the king has authority over them. And the kingdom arriving on the scene shows us those forces have to obey his voice. And they are at his beck and call. They are at his command and he has authority over them. He can, with a word, say, you hush your mouth and get lost. And they listen. So we then, as agents of the kingdom, should expect that the power of the kingdom of God is still very much at at play in this world. I'll I'll explain that in just a moment. But the the coming of the kingdom helps us to know there is a a very, very powerful one, Jesus Christ. And by his power, even the demons have to obey. The other thing that we see here is that the king has power over sickness. Look at verses 29 and following. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Here's what's going on. Again, the power of the kingdom is on display and, and he has authority over the demonic. He also has authority over sickness. So he's able to look at a woman who has a fever <clears throat> and he's able to buy, grab her by the hand and help her up and the, fe- the fever leaves her. He's able, as people are bringing now the, the diseased and the sick and the lame to him, he's able to heal them. The, the king has power over these different things. The, the authority of the king himself is, is showing up on the scene. And so now we're beginning to get this preview of what he is coming to do, that he is going to do away with the demonic, and he's going to do away with evil and he's going to do away with sin and sickness and pain. And that's a beautiful reality. So the coming of the king, the announcement of his arrival and the power that's on display through him is very, very good news because we live in a broken world. Like I don't need any persuading of myself to know this is very, very broken. In the last couple of weeks, I mean, I've just experienced firsthand the pain and the brokenness, but I know the end of the story that in the book of Revelation, if you've ever read it, the last few chapters are beautiful because they paint this picture of what happens when the king returns. And it talks about how there will be no more sickness. There will be no more pain. He'll wipe away tears from every eye. There's no more hurt or pain or sadness or sickness for the old order of things is going away. And Jesus says, I've come to make things new. I'm making all things new. And so we, we know what the king is up to and now we see it in real time. As he shows up by his power, by his authority, demons have to flee, sickness is done away with and it's a beautiful thing. But in the last two weeks, the brokenness in this world, very real to me. It's my uncle passed away from cancer and visiting him and seeing the, the effects that that had had on his body in those final days, it's, it's unsettling. And then Ash and I, we went to a, a service, a memorial service for an infant. And we've got friends that are stuck in a hospital in Madison and and members of our campus who are dealing with financial concerns right now and they're having a hard time finding work and marital concerns and then health concerns that are affecting their marriages and all these different things, all within this group here and the group that's going to show up a little bit later on at 1030. There is pain and brokenness in this world. But here's the incredible news, the good news of the gospel. The king is doing away with that stuff that sickness and that pain and that hurt and that devastation, their days are numbered. And the king by his power and his authority gives us a preview that wherever he shows up, those things flee because his health and his wholeness and his joy and his completeness and his restoration are at work in this world. So when he invites us into this incredible life to follow me, he's showing us now, here's what it's gonna look like. It's gonna look like the kingdom is breaking in. So as his people, we're now kingdom agents. We're representatives of the age to come. We show up on the scene and no matter how broken or how painful things are, we are carriers of the promise and we are sent in his name with his authority and we get to then be the expression of the age to come for the people in our lives. So no matter how bleak it might look, when you show up, you're a carrier of hope and you should be praying for God's wonder-working power to be on display in people's lives for his healing, for his restoration, for his liberation from oppressive forces. You should be praying and trusting that in the name of Jesus, he can and does accomplish these things through you. We should be a city within a city, that when people come in here, when they experience something of our church gathered together, they should know this is what the kingdom of God feels like. This is a preview, and there's still some wrinkles we're working out, but this is a preview of the age to come. And so they should come in here and experience something of the joy of God and the power of God at work. But man, this is, it's an amazing calling that we have to be his people and to be his kingdom agents. He's not left without a testimony, right? Jesus ascended back into heaven and, and he didn't say, so you guys just wait, wait till I get back. It's gonna be amazing. No, he left his bride here, his people, his body, his representatives, and we get to be these agents of hope in the world. So when you're called to follow Christ, you're also called to display something of the kingdom of God to this broken world. And it's a preview of the age to come, and it should help people understand, man, there is a really, really great thing coming. Jesus is going to make all things right again. And we can say it in this way. This is the language of the apostle. No matter how bad it is right now, we're able to say, I don't consider that our present present sufferings are worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. What he does at the end will eclipse all of the pain that we've gone through and it'll be better. And we have that message and can share that with people. So we're called to follow Christ. We're called to be agents of his kingdom and we're called to proclaim. Follow with me starting in verse 35. Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. By the way, very important stuff here. If Jesus had to retreat and spend time alone in prayer to connect with his father, to make sure he was following the marching orders for the day, we need to do that so much more. If Jesus was a man of prayer, we should be people of prayer. Uh, And I would put it this way. When you're on mission, you need prayer. If you get after the mission of God, it's not going to be very hard for you to find time to pray because you're going to be pushed out into things you're uncomfortable, and you're just going to be looking to God for help. But if you just do your life and cruise through it very comfortably, you can get away with not praying. But Jesus was a person of prayer. He was on mission. He went to solitary places, and he met with his father there in prayer. Look what happens next, verses 36 and 37. Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. So they wake up in the morning, and they have their fish breakfast, and they look outside, and there's a huge group of people there. And they're all there because Jesus has been healing people, exercising demons, so everyone's showing up. I mean, if you knew, Jesus is in Sherland, and anyone you know that's sick, we should get him out there. Everyone's going. Everyone's on the way. There's no hesitation, like, yeah, let's try this thing. So everyone shows up, and they're all outside, and the guys are like, where is he at? They go and they find him and they say, hey, God, hey! everyone's looking for you. This is a big deal. This is exciting. Can you believe it? Your ministry is going to go crazy. You could write a book. You could do a, a circuit, a tour. You could, you could do all these different things. There's all kinds of people here for you. This is exciting. And what does he say? Let's leave. He says, let's get out of here. Look with me at verse 38. He says, let's go somewhere else. To the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. Wait a minute, dude. This is your golden moment. This is like popularity on steroids. They're all here for you, but he has a category that recognizes not everyone who benefits from his blessing is willing to surrender in obedience and faith. Not everyone who likes the idea of Jesus is willing to surrender to him. And so he's mainly concerned with publishing the news of salvation. And the healing and the miraculous and the demon exorcisms and all of that, he says, look, that's all secondary. That shows up in the wake of saving faith and in my power. But the main thing that I've come to do is to tell people the news of salvation. Because I don't just want people to get well for a season. You know, you go to Walgreens and they say, hey, be well. And you're like, that's exactly why I'm here, because I have to get drugs to be well. Jesus, he shows up and he goes, be well, and people are much better. But he didn't just come to say, be well and have people experience health and wholeness again. He came to give them the ultimate healing. He came to bring about salvation. And so his priority then is to let people know the news. So he says, I'm happy to leave here and go somewhere else because these people are here for my benefits and they're not here to surrender and trust me. So let's keep marching on and let's go find some people who I I will invite to follow me and they will surrender by faith and trust in me and walk beside me. So his, his ministry is that of proclaiming the gospel. And, and, um, and it's an important priority because it helps people to know who he is and his saving work. It helps them to know how to experience the healing that's going to last forever. Because even those who get well for that season, they get sick and they die again. And, and, and as representatives of this kingdom and as representatives of Christ himself, we know that we should be praying that God would heal people and restore people and make people well, but we also temper that with a reality that, no, there's a better healing com- coming. This is a mere preview. If, you, if cancer goes away, that's just a preview. There's a reality coming that is permanent and it will not go away. And I'm going to pray boldly that you would experience that. And if my prayers aren't answered, I still trust God. Not everyone that we pray for to get well gets well. Paul had a thorn in his side. It didn't get removed. Epaphroditus was a ministry partner who nearly died on the mission field. They had to send him home and he commended him. He goes, this guy is incredible, but I almost lost him. So he needs to go home and get a little bit better. Timothy had a frequent stomach illness and he had to change his diet. So we pray for the healing of God, but we know that not everyone is always going to get well right now. We do know that those who place their faith in Christ will get ultimately much better and they will receive a healing that can never be taken from them. And that's a beautiful reality. So Jesus is concerned with that. He's concerned with proclaiming the good news so people could experience the salvation that is available by faith in him. And that's his priority. He says, let's go somewhere else so I can preach there also. That's why I have come. I want people to know the saving work. In verse 39, he traveled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And so what we wanna do then, if we're his representatives, we want to announce the coming of the kingdom and the invitation to repent and believe in the good news. As a church, that's what we're going to be about. We're going to be about telling people this awesome message of salvation. We're going to publish and proclaim what Christ is making available to us. We're going to call people to repent, to surrender their lives and place their faith in him. We're going to, we're going to help them to understand that the reason why he had to come and die is because of sin. And so we need to repent of that sin and turn to to him in faith. And we should pray and ask and strategize that God would make us look good and feel like the kingdom of God has come, right? That's what we should be praying for. God, would you help us to be representatives of your kingdom? Help us to display something of your power and your glory through your people, not for our sake, not for our fame, not so people can look at us and go, man, that church is so awesome. Those people, they're so incredible so that people would recognize who Jesus is, the King and his kingdom and how it has come and how it's here in Mcchesney Park. We should be praying and asking and strategizing that God would help us to do that. So I'm gonna wrap things up now. And here's the the few points I wanna remind us of. Here's Here's the first thing. Christ is calling us to follow him. That's fundamental. He's calling you, he's calling each of us. I want you to do life with me. And if you've not trusted in him, if you've not surrendered to him, if you just kind of keep flirting with him from a distance going, yeah, I kind of like the idea of that, but yeah, I like his power. I like his benefits. I like his blessings. We need to be people who surrender to him and say, I will follow him wherever he leads me. And I'm surrendering my life to him. Christ is calling us into a discipleship relationship. Here's the second thing I want you to be mindful of. He's calling you to a mission. He's inviting you to be a part of what he's doing in this world. And if you're a follower of Christ, that is your high calling. That's what, that's what God is doing. He's inviting you to be a part of that mission. And so you should embrace that fully. He's calling us to be agents of the kingdom where his power and his authority is on display in real time, not just concepts, not just, yeah, God's powerful, but through you, by faith, God is able to do incredible things. So let's be those kind of people. Here's the last one. I'm going to invite the band to come up. God is using us as his mouthpiece. Jesus said, here's the main reason why I've come, to make known this message of good news and call people to repentance and faith. And today, that's still what he's doing. He's saying, this is what we're about. Telling people the good news that's available to them. If they will surrender, place their faith in Christ and experience salvation. So let me pray and um, ask for God's help. Lord, would you help us to trust you, to follow you? Would you help us, Lord, to embrace the calling of discipleship, as scary as that might seem, to kind of leave everything behind, to lay down the nets, to leave relationships that are comfortable and familiar, and to just follow you? Help us, each one of us, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to believe that that would be worth it. Then, Lord, help us to experience something of your power at work in this world. Let us be agents of the kingdom and people who are on mission and people who get to, with our mouths, tell the good news of what you've done in the sending of your son. Would you help us, please? In Jesus' name.